Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. What a weekend it was. So much happened over the weekend in the world of sports for us to get to. A great night inside the Cajun Dome on Saturday night as the Louisiana Raging Cajuns take down Marshall. They take essentially the driver's seat in the Sunbelt Conference regular season championship race. The fabulous Cajun Chicken put on his dance moves and the entire game staff was in 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 the house. All of us. <laughs> that was great. LSU, McNeese were on the hardwood. It didn't go so great for them. The men's teams, at least. The women got a win over the weekend. Kim Mulkey's bunch as they go into a huge matchup against the South Carolina Gamecocks this coming Sunday on Super Bowl Sunday. Of course, it's Super Bowl week, and we'll be counting down that and getting you prepared for the big game as well. And then the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pellies snap the 10-game losing skid over the weekend and then win back-to-back. Woo! D'Lo is happy about that. Good morning, Dawson. Finals tickets on sale now. We're back. Oh, there it is. There it is. Take down LeBron and the Lakers on Saturday night and then turn around and beat Sacktown, a team that's actually above them in the standings. So lots to get to on this Monday edition of RP3 and Company. Of course, I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the studios by the producer, we call him D'Lo now, but it's Dawson Iserlo. Got a good show lined up for you. Got a lot to cover. And, of course, we love to hear from you. Always on a Monday. Hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We're going to touch on all of it. That happened over the weekend. But let's start with... The association. A lot of times we don't do that, but we're going to. Not only did the Pelicans win back-to-back games over the weekend, snapping their losing skid and getting back on track, Kyrie Irving was traded. It it what was it Thursday? Thursday night, or was it even Friday? Dawson, where he actually it got reported that he had demanded a trade. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, weird timing, I would say. It, it, but it happened quickly. Like, I did yeah. not expect this to happen as quickly as it did. I thought, well, you know, the Nets will go through this and be like, okay, well, let's see if we can find somebody. Trade deadline, I do believe, is this Thursday. So they had a week 
and they didn't mess around. They traded Kyrie over the weekend to the Dallas Mavericks. It makes you think that they had already been having conversations, right? I mean, there's well, those t- Well, that had to start last year when all the stuff with him not being on the same page with the head coach and the front office and when he could play and when he couldn't play. Obviously. This has been in the works for a while. This is what it tells us, right? Mark Cuban is known for being aggressive, the Dallas Mavericks owner. So you get an opportunity to pair when Kyrie is playing. And that's a big what if at times. When he is playing, we would still consider him a top 10 player in the league. Close. Or close. close. Yeah. So top 15, maybe, right? So if you're the Mavs, you're adding a top 15 player with a championship ring on the resume, and you're pairing him up with an MVP candidate and one of the best players in the league, period, in Luka. You had to give up some pieces to get him. Not necessarily... uh, No, you didn't really give up anyone that's going to... You know, if they're trying to make a run to the finals or anything like that, you're going to look back and go, oh, I can't believe he gave up, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith or Spencer Dinwiddie. No, right? They gave up an unprotected first-round pick in 2029. Well, that's a long time away. And second-round picks in 2027 and 2029. Now, the Mavs also get Morris back in return, right, in addition to getting Kyrie. This tells you how much Brooklyn didn't want to have to deal with Kyrie Irving. This tells you how much of a headache he'd become. They're not getting picks back, Dawson, until 2027 and 2029. You know what I really love about that? Like, if I was a GM in one of the major sports leagues, I think that would be my favorite thing to do. Just trade away picks that I probably won't even be you around won't, for. You won't even be employed. Yeah, you won't no longer be with the like, organization. Yeah, let's see, what, 2037? I got a first-rounder then. Yeah, sure, yep. you can have it. Let's go. Zombie apocalypse could happen in between now and then. Not a problem. Let's do it. So, obviously, the Nets just wanted to get rid of Kyrie. His contract is up after this year as well, right? So, if you're the Mavericks, you're essentially renting him for half a season. And to see if he likes what you're doing, and to see if he likes playing with Luka, and then maybe you can re-sign him. It's a gamble if you're the Mavs. It's a big gamble. Kyrie has not been known as being the best teammate. Kyrie is does not has not been known to be. He's not known for playing well with others unless it's LeBron and LeBron tells him to play well with others. That's really the only time in his career, in his professional career, that we look at Kyrie and go, okay. When LeBron got, went back to Cleveland. Because remember, the Cavs were awful with Kyrie, only the one there. Him and LeBron worked really well together because LeBron was the alpha and Kyrie, for whatever reason, just followed LeBron's lead. But ever since then, it has been a disaster everywhere he's been. Everywhere. Well, but he even then, it was the beginning of his career, so he didn't have a whole lot to you know be able to say about it. And... Even after they won a championship, he still complained and left. So, like, correct. <laughs> even then, yeah, it worked for that year, but it's not like it worked for very much longer. It worked for a very short period of time. And then he, it was a disaster in Boston. It's been a disaster in Brooklyn. And now he's on another team. 
And will he play nice? You would assume he wanted out of Brooklyn. By the way, he chose Brooklyn. Just like to like to point that out. He wanted out of Brooklyn. Is he going to be happy in Dallas? I have no idea. You would think he'd be happy playing with a top five player, but he wasn't happy playing with a top five player in Brooklyn. And he wasn't happy being the face of the franchise with some young guys in Boston. And he wasn't happy being the second banana in Cleveland. So what does Kyrie Irving want? That's a legitimate question for me. I just, I, what does he want? He wanted to be the guy, but then they lost. So he got LeBron, so he played nice with LeBron. Then he didn't want to be the second banana anymore. So he wanted to go somewhere else and be the face of the franchise. Well, then he didn't like being the face of the franchise when he was in Boston. Then he wanted to pair up with another top five player in KD or top three player in KD. And they built the whole thing in Brooklyn. And then he did wasn't happy there. Am I supposed to believe that he's going to be happy for half a season with the Mavericks playing with Luka? Like, what evidence have we ever been shown in Kyrie Irving's career that would suggest that he is going to be a good soldier, that he's going to go out there and be a good teammate and play hard and play with the other guys on the court? What evidence do we have? Not much. And to throw another thing in there, what does Kyrie prefer to do is be a ball-handling you know, point guard, field general, floor general point guard, and now he's going to Dallas where Luka is the clear-cut ball handler. I mean, Luka's going to run, the offense is going to run through Luka no matter what. So Luka's the guy, and you're more of a John Wall type. And so, now. you know what's interesting to me, though, is, is does this turn into a situation where there's a couple ways to do this as a coach? One, do you kind of stagger their minutes? We've kind of seen this a couple other mm. places. Where you start them out together, but then, you know, one of them checks out early and you kind of rotate and then they close together. We saw, like, you know, they tried to do this with Westbrook at different stops in his career when Westbrook kind of clashed with Harden, right? And it was like, well, we'll start them out together, then we'll kind of let them rotate who's in and out so that one can run the offense and then we'll try to close them together. So does Dallas do that or do they try to coexist? I, I don't, I don't see it particularly working, but sometimes in the NBA, talent wins out, so maybe it will. Um, I understand what Dallas was doing, though. You had to make a move because Luka hasn't had help for a few years now, and he's kind of taken them as far as he can go by himself. So you had to make a move, and he's, I guess, the best guy out there that was available. But from a style of play, they don't fit together. From a, you know, off-the-court situation, it's not going to be easy. So, like, everything around this, it it doesn't feel, I don't know, maybe Dallas was that desperate. I feel like they could have tried to make other moves, but then again, you sometimes in the NBA you have to go with the best talent available, so I guess they felt like they had to do that. If you're Dallas, you're giving up future picks, right? 2027, 2029. So that's, you know, down the road. You're right now a middle-tier team in the Western Conference. Western Conference is wide open, so if you're Mark Cuban, are you believing, hey, if we just add another talented guy, we'll go up to be like a four seed, right? I mean, maybe that's the move, Dawson. Maybe we're looking too far down into it and we're just like, they're like, hey, you know what? If we got, if we had Kyrie Irving, we can ensure that we'll be a top four seed in the West. All yeah. right, we'll take it. Well, another thing, too, that might go into this move is in today's day and age of the NBA, you always have to be recruiting, re-recruiting your own superstars, right? We've seen that with the Pelicans and the pressure – there's no more trust the process. Like, trust the process with the 76ers was great. It didn't necessarily it turn didn't into a championship. Yeah, no. But at least it worked in that situation where 
Nowadays, like you don't have time to do that. If you bring in a superstar player and you figure out that that's your guy, like you better figure out how to make them happy and put other talent around them, or they're going to be out the door pretty and, quickly. And and if you're Mark Cuban, maybe you get a top four seed this year. Maybe Kyrie and Luca can play well together. The West is wide open, as we know. But you're also showing Luca that, hey man, we're trying to build this thing around you, right? We're, we're, we're trying to do this the right way. So we'll see. Now, all reports were that it looked like the Lakers were going to try everything they could to get Kyrie Irving and pair him back up with LeBron. And ESPN's reported on this that that, in fact, was happening. The problem was that they couldn't get a deal done. Lakers and Nets discussed possible Irving deals on Friday and Saturday. Ultimately, the Mavericks package gave the Nets a better chance to surround Kevin Durant with players right now as well as an opportunity to acquire three draft picks. The Nets had been looking at a three-way deal involving the Lakers before discussions ramped up with Dallas. So what did Mark Cuban, the shrewd business owner, do, Dawson? Ah, he saw blood in the water and was like, hey, they can't get this deal off. They can't get this deal off. The Lakers can't get this deal off. Guess what? I can. That's part of this too now. Now LeBron's response to all this was maybe it's me. I just look, I love his talent. It's phenomenal. The guy's gonna go down in the discussion as one of the three greatest players of all time. He's gonna break Kareem Abdul Jabbar's record for most points scored in a career this week. What are you doing? Why are you complaining? That's the one thing that's always bothered me about LeBron. He complains too much. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. Like, like you're a 14-year-old girl and the your boyfriend started talking to one of the other cheerleaders. Like, stop, dude. You're a grown man. You're about to break Kareem's record. What are you doing? It's just always irked me. He's always got that little bit of that kind of whininess about it and just, just infuriates me to no end. Maybe he just, maybe it's me. Maybe maybe it's you. Maybe maybe it's you. Maybe if you maybe if you and your agent bud didn't obliterate the roster for the Lakers, maybe you would be able to pull off the Kyrie Irving trade. Maybe you be held accountable here a little bit, LeBron, and be like, hey, maybe if I didn't lay waste to the roster, maybe they'd have assets enough to trade away to get Kyrie Irving. Like, come on, dude. Like, this he just irks me. It just irks me. It's like, you're LeBron James. Why are you whited? Stop it. So Kyrie Irving, blockbuster deal over the weekend, gets shipped out from Brooklyn to Dallas. We'll see if it makes a difference. We'll see. Western Conference is wide open. But will Kyrie play well with Luka? Has Dawson broke it down? They both need the ball in their hands. How's that going to work? And... What if Kyrie does Kyrie things like, hey, today I don't feel like playing because I, I don't want to. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. We got to take a timeout. We'll keep the basketball talk moving right along right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, the Pelicans turned into the Pelicans over the weekend. Back-to-back wins at home inside the Smoothie King Center. They first down t- take down LeBron and the Lakers on Saturday to snap the 10-game losing skid. Great. But then they have to play the back-to-back. And Sacramento is a very good team. But that didn't matter. Pelicans came out on fire and did so still with no Zion and no B.I., they went with a different lineup where they went with the three forward lineup, no center, but then they used Willie off the bench and no B.I., no Zion, no Valachunas, right? And they went there and crushed Sacramento 136-104. to 104. I know the NBA is a weird place. It's a long season. And you have these games where you go, what? But they didn't have three of their five starters and were playing a very good team on the second night of a back-to-back. And they crushed them by 30 points. This is the NBA if they're, you know, this is what the NBA is all about. Willie, who's not been really utilized as much as he has been in the past this season, well, they went to him. It was a weird thing. He led the team in rebounds and points. I'm sorry, he was second. He was third on the team in points. He had a double-double. 22 and 16. But they used him off the bench. And they started Larry Nance Jr. I'm not going to lie. When I saw the starting lineups yesterday, they're like they're starting Larry Nance Jr., Herb Jones, Najee Marshall, C.J. McCollum, and Trey Murphy. And I was like, oof, oof. It's going to be a rough go of it. But it wasn't. It worked. It worked. And credit Willie Green making that happen. Trey Murphy, 30 points, 6 of 8 from 3-point range. That's why you drafted him. That's why you have him. We can talk about Trey playing better defense. We can talk about Trey doing other things. They drafted Trey Murphy the third so he could shoot the 3-pointer. That's why he's there. That's why he's there. To do exactly that. That's the type of stat line you want to have. You want to have that guy shoot your, the majority of your three-point shots and make them. That's why they have him on the team. And he stepped up. CJ McCollum, good game. Najee Marshall, okay game. They got contributions elsewhere. But I do have a question for you. Two questions for you there, D'Lo. One, they played a lot of backups yesterday, had to. Trade deadline is Thursday. We've talked about the Pels needing to make a move. We've had people that cover the Pels say they're probably going to make a move. I've seen a lot of guys get minutes of late last two weeks or so. In particular, Jackson Hayes. In particular, Kyra Lewis. Now, Kyra has given them a real good shot in the arm offensively. Do they trade him? Do they move him? Because he's shown what he can do and someone's going to be interested? 
or do they keep him and move somebody else? Because it does feel like a move's happening this week. Yeah, I mean, they're probably going to make a move, but I don't think it's going to be a big move. It's not going to be like a Kyrie-type move. I think it's something no, supplemental. No. And um, Like send Jackson Hayes in a second-round pick to somebody? Yeah, maybe. I mean, and, and maybe you do package, you know, Kyra. I don't know. If you can find a way to package Graham instead, that'd be great. But I don't really know if if too many teams are going to be interested there. But. 15 minutes, six points, bud. That was what Devontae did yesterday. I, I do think, you know, it's very possible, though. And I think Pelicans fans would probably look up and go, well, Kyra Lewis, he just started playing. But that's kind of the nature of the league. You mm-hmm. have to have someone with value to get something back. And. I thought Jackson Hayes looked good. I've always been like a Jackson Hayes believer. I've always felt like the talent's there. It hasn't come together, and I understand that they're, at this point, like it's kind of a crossroads. You might need to just move on from it. He's just not consistent, right? Yeah. You'll get a really good game from him. You're like, and I'm, I'm just like you. You're like, wow. You see that the execution matches the athletic ability, and then he'll go three or four games where it's nothing, and you're yeah. like, ugh. <laughs> you're just like, ah. I. I felt all along like Graham and Hayes would be the pieces that they would try to move on from, right? Jackson's on the last year of his rookie deal, so you'd be renting a player for half a season, and those are always really – those are the type of contracts a lot of NBA teams love taking on at the trade deadline because it's essentially a rental, right? And that's all a lot of these guys want to do is do some moves and rent a player for half a season. Devontae Graham could be a piece, but he has played so poorly, who's going to want him? Is it going to be one of those situations where if you're the Pelicans, you're kind of stuck because you, Willie, stuck with the veteran guy hoping that he'd shoot out of his slump, and he never did. And if I'm an opposing team, I don't want Devontae Graham. I want Kyra Lewis. I'm just being honest. If I'm another team, I go, well, that's great that you're offering Devontae Graham, but I want the young kid that is you know, scoring double-digit points and looks like he gives you guys a spark, the one that you don't give enough minutes to. That's the one I want instead. Yeah, and I, I think it also kind of depends who you're going to make a deal with um, because the way the league is, we mentioned, there's so many teams in contention. So that doesn't mean you can't trade with one of those teams that maybe thinks they can get minutes out of one of the guys you're giving them right now. So if they, there it is. If they have a spot for Jackson Hayes to play a lot or Devontae Graham, less likely – um, or Kyra Lewis, you know, maybe you can trade him to a team like that and still get a guy back who makes sense for you. Um, but, of course, the other option is kind of finding a team that's pretty much out of it and wants to move some of their guys. Um, but I, I don't know. I really don't know what's what the situation is for who the Pelicans want to get back. I know there's a couple of different spots you can go with it. Uh, my my preferred option would be a guy who can take on some of the scoring load if your best players continue to miss time. Because it just feels like that's going to be something you're going to deal with. Yeah, it sure does. Um, and you'd like to have CJ have some help. Um, last night, Trey Murphy kind of emerged as that guy. And we, I, I've been waiting for this game to happen for a month now, right? A game where mm-hmm. you just – and it felt like it was going to happen so many times during that losing streak where you'd start off hot and it just never happened. Now, I think you should note Sacramento was without De'Aaron Fox. Um, who's fair. You know, pretty much their best player. So, But the Pelicans rested B.I., yeah, well. I mean, you so, didn't have a lot of your guys, right. and it is the second of a back-to-back. So it was a very impressive performance. You get to keep this home home stand going this week, two more games at home, and if you can split these um, or even maybe find a way to sweep and beat Cleveland, who's a really good team on Friday night, um, you know, it could be it could be a big weekend for you. So I think they, things are starting to turn around. And, again, you, you just look at the Western Conference, just these two wins have already kind of pushed them back up the standings a little bit. And They're at ninth right now overall in the standings. They're a game above five hundred again. 
They're firmly entrenched in ninth, but there's, once again, the difference between three, the three seed and the 10 seed is three games. So it's completely wide open. They have Atlanta tomorrow night, the Hawks and Trey Young. And that's someone who's never afraid to shoot the ball from anywhere on the court or even off the court or in the parking lot. Trey is very confident. Hawks on Tuesday night. And then Cleveland at home on Friday, as you mentioned. And then they'll have the weekend off before starting a four-game road trip to wrap up things. Well, two of those games of the road trip will be before the All-Star break at Oklahoma City and at the Lakers. And then comes the All-Star break. So, hey, they've won two in a row. Can they still get to that 4-4 four and four mark? Yeah, 3 and three and one's not out of the question in the stretch, I think. I mean, you have like three I'll, teams that you're right yep. there with, and then, you know, it'd be, it'd be tough to beat Cleveland, but it is at home. So, I mean, honestly, winning all four is not out of the question, especially if you get B.I. back. But you have a shot. You have a shot to get some momentum going into the All-Star break. And, I keep hoping for a little surprise appearance from Zion before the break, uh, but maybe that's wishful thinking, but we'll see. If, if I'm the Pelicans, I say no. I, I just – he's so important to what they want to do. I don't want to rush it. I want to give him the extra time off. But even maybe just get him back and give him 15, 15 20 minutes in a game and that like let it be a ramp-up period that then you have – you let him play a game or so and then you, he gets another week off to kind of mm-hmm. like start to ramp it up. I don't know. I'm sure they'll talk with the training staff. And, the hammy's, and the, decision, but, the, but the hammy is, yeah, it's tough. It's tough, right? It's tough because you worry. Hey, let's just give him. Say, even you say, just let him play ten minutes. Well, what if he reaggravates it, right? And that's going to be their fear. They can say whatever they want. The front office of the New Orleans Pelicans are fearful that their prized player, their franchise player, the face of the franchise, is injury prone. And there's part of them that probably would like to keep him in a bubble at all times. So, on one hand, I would like to see him kind of get ramped up, like you said, and then he can practice during the break and keep working. Um, But, man, I sure just feel like they're going to be like, Zion, you're good. Just wait till after the All-Star break. We got to take a timeout. When we return, it was a great night inside the Cajun Dome for the Raging Cajuns men's basketball team. We'll recap it and discuss it with you next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar-coated pastries. That is so sweet! Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We have a lot of respect for Marshall, a very talented team. The backcourt is outstanding. I think they're averaging 55 points between them. And uh, Taylor and Kerfman are really good. And we shut those guys down the first half. And then Kerf, uh, Taylor hit the three. We didn't switch out. Jordan was a second late. And they, they hit that three, went from 11 to 8 at the half. Second half, we came out. Our defense was really good. They didn't score for a couple of minutes. And we hit a couple of shots. And we're able to, to 
get the lead on them. But we led wire to wire, uh, left some free throws out there, had some turnovers. But I thought it was our best defensive effort. And our coaches felt like it was our best defensive effort for 40 minutes all year. I mean, we took three guys out of their game. No one got double figures. And uh, Taylor's a heck of a player, but he hadn't been harassed like he was here tonight. Raging Cajun men's basketball coach Bob Marlin, after his team defeated the Marshall Thundering Herd 77-67 to to improve to 20-4 and on the season. They are in the driver's seat for the Sunbelt Conference regular season championship. Southern Miss will have something to say about that. That game, by the way, in Hattiesburg will be Thursday. And I do believe James Madison's probably going to have something to say about the conference and how it pans out. But an impressive win wire to wire against a very good Marshall team on the night for senior night fabulous Cajun chicken was in the house record crowd most people inside the Cajun dome for a men's basketball game since 2018 which was really the last great raging Cajuns men's basketball season that year ended with an appearance in the NIT this year, they have that many people show up for senior night. The Fabulous Cajun Chicken was in the house. Jordan Brown goes out there and gets them a 2020 game, only the sixth 2020 game in program history, and the first since Sean Long did it. That's a name from the past, back in 2016. I was thoroughly impressed. It's still mind-boggling to me that this team lost to Coastal Carolina to open up conference play, but... Opening up conference play over the holiday break is always a tricky thing. But this team's depth. We focus on Jordan Brown, Dawson. Greg Williams, in my opinion, the last three weeks, he's played as the best player in the conference. He won't be named conference player of the year, but he's playing like one. And they're getting contributions from everyone, even though when I watch Folks play. He has that shot put style of shooting the basketball, which drives me nuts, but sometimes it goes in. But they're getting contributions across the board. Joe Charles coming in off the bench, shooting threes, playing defense. Their depth, their chemistry is ridiculous. It, it, it just is. And that was one of the best wins we've seen them have all season long, wire to wire over a team that's competing for a regular season championship. Yeah, and people might think I'm joking. I'm really not. I thought Bob Marlin sounded pretty fired up in that first clip because, like, you don't get that from Bob. You don't get the energy. Mm-mm. And you could tell he was kind of riding the emotion of that win. And, you know, I think it's it's building. Like, this is building. It's been building all year. But, yeah, Greg Williams, I think I made this comment on Foot Show. Like, I, they don't vote for a – you know, they don't award a most improved player in college basketball, but I think Greg Williams would be on that list because the steps that he's taken from his game last year – I mean, look, Greg Williams – he played really well in the conference tournament in the last couple of games of the regular season, but he averaged under 10 points a game for the season, I believe. Uh, and he was nowhere near the offensive player that he's been this year. I mean, he's over, he's well over 40% from three this season. Uh, and he's, and it's not like he's a guy who picks and, you know, chooses his spots. He shoots a lot of threes. He's one of the better three point shooters on this team. And this is one of the better three point shooting teams in the country, not even just the conference. I think that's, kind of something that's different. We, we talked about when Jordan Brown first got here last year, 
I felt like when he would get doubled inside and try to kick out, you had no reliable guys to really consistently knock down shots other than Kentrell Garnett. And once teams kind of figured that out, you struggled. That's not the case anymore. This team, like, offensively doesn't really run out of options because even if a team finds a way, which it's not often, but if a team finds a way to neutralize Jordan Brown, they have enough talent elsewhere to continue to score and not just outside shooting, but they have a guy like Folks who can take it to the basket. Or Terrence Lewis. Yeah, Terrence Lewis is a great option as well. Like there's just there's there's a lot of options and it's really going to be difficult for a team to to shut them down. It's going to take for you all to lose a game in this conference. I think it's going to take an off-night shooting combined with a really good night for their opponent and that's really the only two things that that will have to come together. And, and it's very what, possible that that happens in Hattiesburg on Thursday, but it's going to be tough. That's what happened at Coastal Carolina and at Old Dominion. That's exactly what happened. That they they were leading the Coastal Carolina game, and they just went cold, and Coastal got hot, and that was it, right? So that's part of it. I also like the fact that this team doesn't not, not necessarily feels itself, but they are very confident. So like, there's something to that. When you watch them on Saturday night, they come out, and it's 20-8 to 8, like that by the first media timeout. This is a team that understands how good it is. And they are confident in their abilities to beat anyone they face. And that comes with just playing together. But look, they have that confidence. Marshall made a little bit of a run, right? They got they they caught fire a little bit and cut the deficit down to I do believe it was 8. As Louisiana went into the half up 36 to 28. You're like, "Okay. Now they had control. They bumped the lead back up to 15. Joe Charles came in, made some threes. Dalcourt made a big shot. And coach had challenged him during the week about to be better. And Marshall was able to cut it down to within 10. But two things stood out to me about this game. One, the Cajuns dominated the boards. Like, they just, they just ate them up. I don't care how many shooters you have, if you can dominate the glass, you're more than likely going to win the game. That's just how it works. Because you're going to give yourself second chance points over and over and over again. And they dominated the boards. Yeah, and you know, one thing, and actually shout out to my dad who uh, who made the comment, because I said early on, I said, well, Marshall has the size inside to kind of combat Brown if those guys play well. And after the game, he said, look, they didn't have the size. They had the hype. They didn't have the size. Because Jordan Brown, look, that kid's a freshman, the big man for Marshall, seven foot one guy, and I mean the student section was giving him a rough time. It was a bad night for him, but Jordan Brown kind of looked at this matchup, I think, and said, "Okay, yeah, seven one, not worried about it." Um, and you're right. I mean, they just dominated him on the boards. They out hustled him. They out they outplayed him. And, and again, that's there's not that many teams in this conference that have a guy who can physically match up with Jordan Brown. And we saw that last year, but again, like teams were prioritizing it, doubling and tripling, and it was Correct. working to an extent at times. That's when you all had those lulls offensively throughout the season. This year, it doesn't matter. And teams, look, I thought Marshall, like try, they basically said, we can't, we can't double him. We're just going to try to match up, and Brown just took advantage. So, again, that's a, you're going to have to run into a team that has somebody. Or, again, you know, it's college basketball. Foul trouble can be a thing. If Brown gets in foul trouble early, you all could find themselves, you know, in a tough game. I thought the officials let him play on Thursday. I mean, on Saturday, and that was a factor as well. They let him be physical. Brown had 26 and 20. First half, he was really dominant, 17 and 14. 
like I said earlier, only the 6-20-20 game in school history. Now, Marshall made a run. The Cajuns left the door open with their free throw shooting, which is something that is, is the one thing when I watch this team, and we've seen this in a couple games before, they let teams they kind of open that door because they don't make their free throws. And Bob even mentioned it afterwards. But he was asked, you know, how did he feel about his team being able to respond to Marshall's late push in the game? Well, the, the, we were up 30-16 to 16 in the first half and missed a couple of easy opportunities, I felt like, to not win the game in the first half, but pretty much put a stamp on it. And we let that go. And as you said, it got back to eight, second half. We knew we had to jump out and, and, and fight, and I thought we did the first four minutes. They played good, started making some shots in the middle. Uh, but we knew they would come back. And, I mean, it's conference play for first place. What, I mean, what, what, what do you expect? Yeah, well, I mean, what do you expect? Marshall had something to play for. Absolutely. Now, we talked about Jordan Brown, 27-20, and 20, only the sixth. 2020 game in program history first since Sean Long did it back in 2016 and look Marlins had to talk a lot about Brown and use a lot of different ways to describe the preseason player of the year and he tried to put into words yet again on Saturday night what Brown did on the court really happy for all the seniors but for Jordan Greg especially had big scoring nights and and the other two I thought Jalen played good he gave us a boost and hit a big three and but Jordan to get 20, what, 26 and 20? I, I told him it should have been 30 and 20. Because at halftime, he had 17. If you make his free throws, right? Uh, but no, he, he worked. He worked tonight. I thought he was quick off his feet, and he set the tone early, and then T. Lou did. And we did it again in the second half on the glass. We, we got on him quick on the glass and were able to get some buckets. I thought Jordan gave us a couple of good assists tonight early. How I many he wind up with two assists? Oh, yeah. Bob made sure. Yeah, yeah. He would have had 30. Would have made his free throws. <laughs> Gotta love that. Gotta love that. So they win. Southern Miss, they've already won the head-to-head. They've already beaten them once. Earlier in conference play. So I guess, Dawson, they win Thursday. With only a few games left, you feel confident the Cajuns are going to be the regular season champs if they yes, win Thursday's game? Because the other thing is, if you win Thursday's game, you fully you win the head to head, and the tiebreakers in the Sun Bowl get muddy. I have to do some further research. Oh, on them. we tried the other day, yeah, remember? And, and we were like, "Whoa, man!" And the article I found is from 2014 on the Sun Bowl website, so I don't know if anything's changed since then. So I'm working on that. But if you win the head to head with Southern Miss, I know that that's the first tiebreaker. So you then have it on them. So you could then afford to lose the James Madison game on the road, not saying you want to, but that's the last game on the schedule where you sit there and go, well, that's going to be tough. So you could afford a loss at that point for sure and potentially afford two losses. So, yeah, if you beat Southern Miss, it's not wrapped up, but it's getting close. Southern Miss, UL 10-2 in conference play. They're atop the standings. Then it's Marshall and James Madison at 8-4 and four, and then ULM at 7-5. and five. So there's been some separation now. Southern Miss 21 and 4 overall, UL 20 and 4 overall. Southern Miss has won 7 straight, UL's won 10 straight. So Thursday's game in Hattiesburg is huge for a multitude of reasons. So we'll see. Once again, just a reminder that the regular season champ 
We, fi- we did figure this out the other day. Even if there's a tie with the regular season champion for the NIT purposes, if they have to, if there's a co. Let's say, let's say Southern Miss and UL share the regular season title. And let's say Marshall wins the conference tournament and gets the automatic bid to the NCAA. Both Southern Miss and UL would make the NIT, by the way. So winning the regular season title matters because it ensures at least you're going to the NIT. So huge game Thursday night in Hattiesburg. When we come back, Pro Bowl, was it actually fun? The players seem to have a good time. We'll talk about it next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. When will the LSU men's basketball team snap its losing skid? It did not do it over the weekend, by the way, in case you were wondering. Wednesday against Mississippi State, Saturday against Texas A&M, or your other option is they won't this week. That's our poll question of the day. Already got plenty of comments, plenty of votes on this already. We'll share them in the next hour with you but keep those votes coming right now 71 percent of you say they won't this week 25 percent say wednesday against mississippi state and only four percent of you say against texas a&m on saturday so keep those votes coming keep those comments coming on the poll question of the day hour number one in the books hour number two oh man we're going to talk to jeff palermo about the lsu men's basketball and women's basketball teams that's on deck we'll talk about the pro bowl players seem to have fun and we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is going to be open as always. 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, what a weekend it was. Raging Cajuns men's basketball team gets to 20 wins with a wire-to-wire victory over the Marshall Thundering Herd on senior night inside the Cajun Dome. Fabulous Cajun Chicken was in attendance. Most people for a Raging Cajuns men's basketball game since 2018 and the first 2020 game since 2016 and only the sixth one in program history when Jordan Brown accomplished the feat on Saturday. New Orleans Pelicans, great weekend for them. They snapped their 10-game losing skid with a win at home against the Los Angeles Lakers. Take that, LeBron. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. Oh, my God. Maybe it's me. Then turn around without B.I., without Valachunas. Still no Zion. Herb Jones is a madman on defense, by the way, Dawson. That's a guy that just loves playing defense. 
They turn around and take down Sacramento by 30 on Sunday. Win the back-to-back games. They get back above 500 on the season. And they're currently in ninth place in the Western Conference standings. With only a handful of games to go before the All-Star break. So good weekend for the Pellies. Good weekend for Raging Cajuns men's basketball. Good weekend for LSU women's basketball. They remain undefeated heading into their matchup against South Carolina, the defending national champs, and the only other team that's undefeated in women's college basketball. By the way, South Carolina went on the road and won against UConn. That was a thrilling game on Sunday. So Gamecocks and Tigers will face off in Columbia on Sunday, on Super Bowl Sunday. Ooh, regular season title is going to be on the line in that ball game. Should be a good one. So LSU women, they win. The LSU men, unfortunately, not so much. Not so much. They fall to Alabama. They showed some heart. They showed some fight, but it was still an L. Still didn't matter. Still a big old fat L for the Tigers. And that leads us to our poll question of the day. Will this team actually be able to turn it around? When will they turn it around? When can we expect a win for Matt McMahon's team? We know they're on the struggle bus. We understand this. But when you look at this team, when are they going to win a ball game? They got a good chance this week, believe it or not, because they're taking on Mississippi State. Now, the Bulldogs are towards the bottom of the standings, just like LSU is. Mississippi State is 15-8 and eight overall. They are 9-3 and three at home, but they're 3-7 and seven in SEC play. Ooh. LSU, obviously, 12-11 and 11 now. Remember, they started off 12-1 and one on the season. They're 1-9 in conference play. Now, there's going to be winnable games even after this because they still have to play South Carolina, who is 1-9 in conference play. They still have to play Ole Miss, who's also 1-9 in conference play. So those are going to be coin flip games for this LSU men's basketball team, and they'll have an opportunity to win those games. But Mississippi State isn't much better. So they have to play Mississippi State this week and Texas A&M. And that leads us to our poll question of the day. When will the LSU men's basketball team snap its losing skid? The latest results from you, the listener. 74% of you say they won't this week. You're just conceding that it's not going to happen this week. Even though they have a favorable matchup against Mississippi State, do not feel confident that they'll be able to win that game on Wednesday. 23% of you say they will beat Mississippi State on Wednesday. And 3% of you say Saturday against Texas A&M, who, by the way, is now third in the conference. Let's get to some comments here. Ralph on Twitter says, when the Mad Dog ditches the McMahon voodoo doll. (laughs) JPK, the OD, says, here's your sign. LSU men's women's basketball teams will be part of the new ACC-SEC challenge in the 2023-2024 season. 
Steve says, when hell freezes over, is it an option? Ton on Twitter says, honestly, it may not be until next season before they break the skid. Wow. People are already going there. They still have Ole Miss and South Carolina on the schedule, though. And those are terrible teams. Like, Ole Miss is going to fire their coach. Poor Kermit's been there forever. They're going to have to part ways with him because he's lost the program. Like, they're still going to have a chance here to win at least a game, right? Do, even Dawson's shaking his head. He's like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe. A chance, yeah. sure. But, I mean, you know. The team started off 12-1. and you telling me they're not going to be able to win another game? No, I will. Look, I, looking back at some of those games, like, it's kind of incredible that they won that many games in non-conference. Like, not even joking. All jokes aside. Like, because some of the teams that they play, I mean, they didn't play very many good teams. But, like, the Wake Forest game, it's incredible that they won that game. Yeah, like, like, Wake Forest isn't a bad team. And so, you look back at some of those scores. And then, like, I guess you should have seen the writing on the wall when they were kind of, you know, really close games with a couple of really bad teams. But yeah, and you were just like, well, maybe it's just yeah, early when they got the to twelve and one. It's like, well, maybe they're. And then, of course, the Arkansas win. You're like, I, I mean, really, there was like some buzz around them being a top twenty five team after that win, right? And then it's yeah. like, and then was, it's like, no, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> well, they followed up the Arkansas win. If you yeah, with remember. a good performance against Kentucky, Kentucky yeah. But now we know Kentucky is kind of they've got still better. though. I mean, on the road at Kentucky, they're pretty. You know, yeah, and Rupp is difficult. It's always been difficult for LSU to win in Lexington. Ton on Twitter says, honestly, it may not be until next season before they break the skid. It's a process and it takes a while, but man, this hurts. Like being patient sucks sometimes. And John Paul says, I don't know when they will get that ne- that next win, but I'm waiting patiently for college basketball season to start. Did you know that with the current Sunbelt makeup last year, they would have had the second most teams in the college playoffs? Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. When will the LSU men's basketball team snap its losing skid? Will it be Wednesday night against Mississippi State? Will it be Saturday against Texas A&M? Or will it be not at all this week? Those are your options. So go vote and leave your thoughts, your comments, if you will, your innermost thoughts on the Facebook and the Twitter. Matt McMahon, he's trying hard. He is. God bless him. He's trying hard. But they've been making some strides. There was some improvement in Saturday's loss against Alabama, right? They played better than they did the time before, but it wasn't enough to get the win, and Matt McMahon talked about that afterwards. Uh, The first part, I think playing hard and competing uh, with a relentless effort and and a mindset uh, to do whatever you have to do to help your team win is the price of admission. You know, that's, that's why you're here. And I think we've made strides in that area. Uh, after the first eight SEC games, kind of had a reset and try to make improvement so that we can get back to the win column. You know, it's, no one will want to hear this, and I hate to talk about it because losing stinks. But as I look at the last 10 days from practice habits, from preparation, from on-court performance, there has been improvement. And that'll give us a chance if we'll stay the course and keep working to get better in those areas. And that has to be the mindset moving forward. Doesn't happen overnight. Uh, But I think we've made improvement uh, in some areas. And then, Trey, it was just a coach's coach's decision. Excuse me. 
you can see improvement. Like when, when I went for the Texas Tech game, there were moments where you're like, they're playing better basketball. Here's the problem fundamentally with this team. First of all, their talent does not stack up to anyone else in the conference. They're not a talented team. We can talk about coaching. We can talk about program. We can talk about culture. We do that a lot on this show. We do that a lot in when we talk sports, period. But you got to have talent. They don't have it. They don't have it. Williams is the one guy that you look at and you go, okay, he could probably play for another SEC team. Is there another one? Is there another kid on the roster that you go, hey, that's an SEC talent. That's an SEC caliber player there. Is there one besides Williams? Besides KJ? Miller, I don't think that guy. I, re- I really don't. Maybe that's a stretch. So now you're talking about, let's say I, I say Miller is that. Now you got two guys on your roster that are SEC caliber players. You can't, like, you just can't win that way. You just can't. And they're getting better, but you just can't. And the thing that they don't do, and, and they've given forth better effort with rebounding, they've given forth better effort when it comes to defensive basketball. You heard Matt McMahon kind of touch on that a little bit, right? You know what they don't do? They don't score enough. This is fundamental stuff with basketball. They don't have guys that can score. And look, McMahon even admitted as much afterwards, look, they took better care of the ball, they did a better job at rebounding, but they don't score enough, period. Well, it it gives us a chance uh, when we don't turn the ball over because we're able to limit those transition points, especially against a team as explosive as Alabama. And we, we gave up three points off turnovers today. And you know, that's the reason we had an opportunity to be in the game. Um, you know, the offensive rebounding, um, you know, it's, it's great. It's, it's an effort stat. And it's, it's great that we got 13 of them, but we don't convert them into enough points. We just don't have much efficiency on those offensive rebounds. You know, today, 13 uh, offensive boards and only six points there. And, and you'd like to be that number to be over a point per offensive rebound, certainly. And um, all that said, um, you know, it's just difficult to win against a team of that caliber uh, shooting 30% from the floor and 26 from three. And so have to continue to, to keep getting better there. This team has eight games left in the regular season, right? Eight. You're highly educated. You have not one but two degrees, correct, Dawson? Correct. All right. So D'Lo's got the two degrees, the big two-degree flex. So eight games left, you're 12 and 11. What do you have to do to ensure that you have a winning record overall? Are we still pretending like that's possible? Let's just let's just <laughs> do the exercise. Work with me here, D'Lo. What do, what, what do we have to do? You got to win four. You got to win four games. No, but then you have an SEC tournament game no matter what, right? Because yes, because they it, take so. all the terrible teams. So essentially, you need to win five then, because there you, it if is. You're assuming you're going to lose. Now you do, but it is going to be against the bottom team because it'll be that like kind of play in. Right. It'll be it'll be an, play against like another terrible or something team, like right. that. So so you got to win five games between 
you're in your final eight in your SEC tournament game, right? So overall, because you're 12 and 11 right now, you have to win five of your next nine. Mississippi State's Wednesday on the road. Texas A&M on Saturday in the PMAC. Then it's at Georgia. South Carolina, they're awful. Vandy is not as awful as we thought they were, but they're still pretty bad. At Ole Miss, right? So there's a nice little three-game stretch right there where you can rack up wins. You would hope if you're LSU win at least two of those three or at least those three in a row, right? Pile them together. South Carolina, Vandy, Ole Miss. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Then it's versus Missouri and versus Florida, an improved Florida Gator team. Mississippi State's kind of figured things out again momentarily yeah. as well. So that was looking for a while like a good shot. Now, maybe not. Ooh, they're going to have a losing season. That's, 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 that's what's going to happen. Oh, man. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a timeout. But when we return here on RP3 and Company, Pro Bowl. They changed the format, and you know what? The players loved it. They looked like they had a great time. Did you have a great time? We'll talk about that next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. (laughs) Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The NFL Pro Bowl. It's always been kind of a joke. Players haven't really taken it seriously. So many of them opt out of it. So the NFL decided, hey, it's time for some drastic changes to the old all-star game for the NFL. And I'm not going to lie to you. I kind of liked what I saw yesterday. Now, I didn't watch the whole thing from start to finish. But this notion that they're like, hey, we're going to make this fun. And watching the players, they had a blast. And that's really what it's all about, right? Because if you're making an event that the players are going to have fun at, they're going to be more inclined to take part in it. You had Diggs versus Diggs, brother versus brother, right? That was fun. You had uh, Derek Carr, Tyler Huntley, Geno Smith. They all played multiple flag football games. You had Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, Devontae Adams take the reception, and he's running down the sideline, and he flips it back to Tyreek Hill behind him. But Jalen Ramsey just puts his shoulder down and just knocks Tyreek Hill out of bounds. <laughs> You're not supposed to have any contact. <laughs> but the guys, you see it on their faces, they had a blast. Whether it was Derrick Henry or Trevor Lawrence or Jalen Ramsey, Tyreek Hill, whoever it was, 
they thoroughly enjoyed themselves. Different format. They had all the skill challenge games, so they earned up points that way. And then they had multiple different flag football games. This seemingly worked. And the NFL is going to get more feedback from the players and the fans of what they liked and what they didn't like. So they understand it's kind of a joke, right? But let's have fun with it. I thought it worked really well. I didn't watch the whole thing, right? Okay. That said, watched some of it and watched some of the highlights. It looked pretty fun and entertaining to me. Is this what they need to do moving forward, Dawson? Is that just say, hey, you know what? We're not going to try to make this really a competitive game. We're just going to have fun with it. It's going to be some backyard football. The guys can wear hats. All of them wore hats. They had Eli Manning and Peyton Manning there as the coaches. You had Snoop Dogg and Pete Davidson as captains. Like It very much felt like an old-school MTV rock and jock thing. But I think it worked. Yeah, I, there's no going back to the real oh, no. game after this. No, so that's no, no. out of the question. But, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, I, I didn't watch much of it. I opted for NASCAR clash pre-race coverage and little Pell's pre-game coverage as well but I, I watched a little bit yeah I thought the the Jalen Ramsey play was funny um the mini games are cool and they kind of spread them out over a couple of days yeah. so that was kind of an interesting thing you made it more of like a week-long event but um I mean it is what it is it was never going to be a good football game anymore and I think they knew that and the players were over it and it was getting ridiculous anyway with the amount of effort put forth so yeah, it's fine, and I, I, it's better than nothing, I guess, and some people will enjoy it, and, you know, it's probably fun for kids to watch, so, I mean, it's fine. Fun for kids to watch. I also think it's a great way of kind of kicking off the Super Bowl week, right, where it, it almost serves like it used to be the celebrity games for, like, Major League Baseball All-Star or NBA All-Star, right? You kick off the festivities with kind of a fun thing. And instead of it being attached to an all-star game, they're essentially making the Pro Bowl like that celebrity game, right? And everyone gets together. They're in Vegas. They're having a good time. No, Alvin Kamara didn't punch anybody, thankfully. Not this year. And it's a fun way of kind of starting the party of the Super Bowl week. That's how it kind of felt to me. Well, and this is an idea that I'm sure there's logistic issues with everything going on with the Super Bowl, but why not have it at the Super Bowl location? So that way you kind of have the... The teams that are in the Super Bowl, they're around at least, if not participating, but around to kind of interact with people. And you really feel like it's a, an unofficial begin to Super Bowl week rather than having everybody travel out to Vegas. And it's then, logistics. Right. Is, 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 and it is probably it wouldn't is. work, but I think like... Because of the travel and everything. And plus Vegas is... But next year, the Super Bowl's in Vegas anyway, so I wonder correct. what they're going to be doing. Probably is, just keep it in Vegas. Yeah, so that'll be because interesting. Because that, that, that will be uh, interesting. I also fear train wreck for the for the Super Bowl in Vegas next year. But, yeah, it's just, it. look, they were, it was a losing situation. It, it, you weren't going to get guys that have to play 17 games in a regular season and then some playoff teams and playoff games to turn around and have to play in a, in a Pro Bowl game and actually give forth effort. Like, And the NFL was part of this where they took away, you couldn't sack the quarterback, you took away hard hits. I remember years ago, Sean Taylor, Knocked out the punter <laughs> on, on a punt and just did not care. Just laid him out, right? That that doesn't exist anymore. So you make the best of it. You have an excuse to have NFL on. Your stars are there because they don't have their helmets on so you can see all their faces. Once again, that's all about branding, right? 
They're having a good time. The kids can watch it. It's like backyard football. All in all, I thought it was a smart move. Uh, and what? once again, they didn't have a ton of options. We're going to be fair. They didn't have a ton of options. But I think this is the best case scenario for them moving forward, is that this is what you're going to do, and you're going to have fun while you do it. So I liked it. I did. I, I, I really did. Now, we have a couple minutes here. So I don't follow NASCAR. I've tried. I've just never been able to get into it. I respect it. I do enjoy watching it from time to time. I was always under the impression that Daytona, the 500, kicks off the season, but they had a race at the Coliseum with Sinhouse won yesterday, right? No? No. Nope, nope, Martin Truex. Yes, Martin there. Truex. Sorry. So is that now the new kickoff? Is, is this an actual official race, or is it just like a fun event? Explain this, this to me. This is an exhibition, not an official race. Does not count the points. Does not count for the championship. Right. All right. So Daytona 500 is still the kickoff. Yes. Right, the, 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 which I always respect that their biggest race of the year is their first one, which is always interesting. Okay, so this is just a fun get-together kind of thing in a facility that typically doesn't host racing. Yeah, so this is... There's been different iterations of the Clash. It's existed before. Um, it's But now, uh, starting last year, they did this thing at the Coliseum where they put a track inside the Coliseum, and right. it worked. Uh, it was also the beginning of the new car last year, so this was literally like the first event with the next-gen cars. Um, so they went back, and they did it again. It's an unofficial, non-points race. It's a little bit different. They ran in heats because it's a very small track, which they don't do in, during the regular season. So they ran in heats, and then you had to qualify in, and a certain number of cars got in the main event, and then they had a main event, and... That's what happened. So um, it's a new – the Clash has existed for a while. This is a new take on it, and, yeah, it's not a points race at all. But I was arguing I think it should be worth something because it's, you know, after all, you can get a, at least give a few points to the winner. But is way. this Is this similar to what they did or what they've been doing a couple of years ago? Didn't they have one at, like, the University of Tennessee? Um, not the same thing. Well, that was an actual points race, though, right? Yeah. Well – Or no. No, I don't. I don't think so. Let me check on that. Okay. But all right. So they they've done some things with like Bristol dirt. They put dirt on Bristol instead yes. of, and so that is a points race that counts and everything like that. But NASCAR also is is doing some different things now. And for a long time they were setting their ways and they weren't changing. And I think the popularity declined. But they're trying to work their way back up. They're going to race at the Chicago Street Course this year, which is going to be a track literally laid out through the city of Chicago. So they're doing some unique things to try and kind of you know, bump up the popularity again. And so far it seems to be working. Would it benefit them to have like a preseason? Well, this Multiple, is essentially that. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it kind of goes, cause I saw it over the weekend. I was like, Oh, NASCAR. I said, it, it caught me off guard. Right. And not a bad way, but in a good way. I was like, Oh, there's a NASCAR race. But then I was like, okay, well it's not really, but it got my interest. Right. And that's the whole thing. It's like, well, you could do those fun things. Once again, we're talking about doing something fun here to get the interest up before Daytona. Yeah, right. and and but I think from a cost standpoint, that'd probably be and you know not a great idea to have more than that because teams bringing equipment and you know that's fair the cost of things, especially right now with the new chassis, are still really expensive based on the next gen cars. But um, it is something, and then there'll still be like the duels at Daytona. So there's a couple of races leading up to the 500. That's how they set qualifying. They don't do just qualifying laps there. They have you know these little mini races um, at Daytona, and then the 500, of course, will be right. Uh, the Sunday after the Super Bowl. So they'll actually take the Super Bowl week off, not trying to compete with the NFL anyway no, no. there, and then no, no. start the fa the 500 the weekend after. Have you been to a NASCAR race in person? Yes, a few Ooh. actually. Oh, where? 
Uh, I went to Daytona once with... This man's going to the Daytona! Not the 500. Oh, no, I went okay. to the night race. Okay. I went with Florida State, actually, on like a volunteer trip. Um, and then last summer, we went to Nashville. So I went to the Nashville race last summer. Now, I've been to dirt track racing, and I've been to small racing, Mobile Speedway, outside of Mobile. I grew up there, went to races all the time. And then I've been to some dirt track, one in Leesville, still up and running, um, which, which is fun. I've always wanted to go to an actual NASCAR race and never been able to go. I've always wanted to go. It's always on my bucket list of sporting events to go cover and go cover an actual NASCAR race. Well, if you want to go cover the 500, let's do it. We can both go. <laughs> but uh, Let's make a phone call. Daytona and Talladega, I would say, also are kind of different than the rest. Those are super speedway races, and the, the pack racing, they stay together. It's incredible. The other races are great as well. Nashville was a lot of fun. But if you're going to do it once, I would say Daytona or Talladega is the way to go. There it is. There it is. Now I'll just have to, you know, I did let my wife, Tina, and our daughter, Hattie, have a girls' weekend with my wife's cousin. She came in from Alaska. They got a cabin. They had a nice girls' weekend this past weekend. My, my daughter's cousins, they all got together. They had a great time. Went on Lake Martin. They did all girls' thing. I wasn't part of it. So maybe because I was such a good sport allowing that to happen, maybe I can convince the wife to be like, hey, uh, I'd like to go to a NASCAR race with Dawson. D-Lo and RP3 on the road for NASCAR. And uh, we'll see how that goes. I wouldn't hold out hope, though, Dawson, just to let you know. Remote show at Daytona. I think it's probably a done deal by now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Jeff Palermo will join us. We'll talk LSU women. They're great. We'll talk about the LSU men. They're not so great. That's next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Jeff Palermo is the news and sports director of the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. And he always kicks off our week of guests because, you know what, you got to start strong or don't start at all. Jeff, good morning, brother. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing well, Raymond. How about yourself? Well, bud, I'm doing great. I get to talk to you. It's Super Bowl week, so let's get it started. Our poll question of the day on this tremendous Monday morning is when will the LSU men's basketball team win a game? Will it be Wednesday at Mississippi State? Will it be Saturday versus A&M? Or there's the other option, which is overwhelmingly popular right now, is that they won't win one this week. What will happen? Do you see LSU winning a game before they play that three-game stretch of Vandy, Ole Miss, and South Carolina? You know, they've they've played better here recently. I mean, they've uh, – I guess you can – I mean, losing by 10 against Alabama 
Uh, like, you never really thought they were going to win that game, but at least they didn't get blown out by 40, right? That's true. Um, uh, hey, that's something. And, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what it is, but it is something. Um, so they, they played better there. Uh, they played you know, I, I, last Wednesday against Missouri. Missouri just was unbelievable from three-point territory, and the Tigers really couldn't keep up. Uh, this Mississippi State team is only three and seven in the SEC, but They've won their last three games, <laughs> including a win against Missouri. So I am going to say they will not win on Wednesday, and they will certainly not win on Saturday. So the uh, losing streak will continue this week. Oh, man. They started off 12-1 and with the win over Arkansas to start off conference play, and they played tough on the road in Lexington. But they've just – haven't been able to get it together ever since we've talked about it a lot the roster isn't very good maybe KJ Williams is the only guy that could be on another SEC team's roster really honestly so the roster's part of it but they fundamentally do something very poorly they don't score like that's the problem for this team is that they struggle to score, and I know Matt McMahon's working on them in practice on shooting buckets, right, yeah. Jeff? I mean, it's not as if they're not practicing. They just don't put the bucket in the basket, man, the ball in the basket. Well, well, I mean, kind of look at, you know, the, the guys that they brought in, and, you know, other than K.J. Williams, who you mentioned, I mean, none of them were, you know, these just prolific scorers from wherever else they were at. Um and so, I, I, I mean, they're just limited offensively. I mean, that, that's that's kind of the, the the bottom the bottom line to it all is that they, they were limit, limit they're limited offensively, um, and they just there's not much they can do. Um, I guess you could sit you could sit here and say that uh, you were expecting a little bit more from a guy like Justice Hill, for instance. I mean, he averaged. 13 points a game in his final season at Murray State. You know, he shot 43% from the field, was a was a decent three-point shooter and so you were expecting to get a little bit more scoring out of him and it hasn't it hasn't translated at all, but I mean a lot of these other guys uh, it, it's not again, it's not like they were just uh, you know, huge scorers from where from other places that they were at. Uh, Cam Hayes, you know, North Carolina State. I mean, this is a guy that averaged just about seven or eight points a game. So um, it's just got to be addressed in recruiting and, and whether they can really address it or not in, in, in one year. I, I think it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly going to take some time. Uh, we know Adam Miller can fill it up a little bit, but uh, like a lot of shooters – uh, he's going to have his good nights, and he's going to have his uh, not-so-good nights. I mean, he, he had a good night uh, a, a week ago against Texas Tech where he hit six – or he made uh, six field goals in one game. You know, since then, he's four of his last 23. So, oh. what you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> what what are you going to do? Yeah, Actually, not... four out of his last 21, so not as bad as I just said. But you get the point. How do you win on the recruiting trail, though, when your team is one of the worst teams in the SEC 
and you still have the whole NCAA violations yeah. thing with Will Wade still hanging over your head. And and that still hasn't come down because, of course, the NCAA drags its feet because it takes right. years to do these things, apparently. I, I don't understand why that is. And you still have that hanging over your head as well. So how much of a challenge is it really going to be for Matt McMahon on the recruiting trail the next couple of years? Well, it's gonna. It's still gonna be a big challenge until you do get this NCAA investigation concluded, uh, and you finally hear the results of the punishment. Now, I think LSU feels pretty good that they're not gonna get hit too hard because none of the other programs that were that have been sanctioned here lately for similar stuff uh they they were not hit very hard and, and to be honest i mean i think the ncaa's got well you would you would hope they'd have a heart in this right because they they have to see that what what was a a tournament what was a program that was going to the tournament every year and they would have gone in in 2020 as well if, obviously if covid didn't shut it down um is now a, a program that is only going to win a couple games in the SEC. So I think the damage, the punishment has been done, right? I, I think, and then again, you, 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 you put in there that anyone that was associated with what was going on under Will Wade from the athletic, athletic director down is no longer involved in the program. So while LSU is feeling like they're not going to get hit too bad, um, a high school recruits, not going to, Mm-hmm. It's not going to, you know, they're going to go somewhere where they know they're not going to, there's not going to be any kind of a punishment. And then you obviously know there's the negative recruiting going on and all that kind of stuff, because any team that's trying to recruit the same player that LSU's recruiting, are going to bring up the fact that LSU could get hit with NCAA penalties. So, uh, yeah, I think that is a big hurdle that has to be cleared. I anticipate Raymond that this gets concluded Sometime in the springtime, remember it was announced really right before the NCAA tournament uh, of the uh, the violations they, the, the, that LSU had received the the letter of an, the notice of allegations I guess is what they call it right so it was about, it was about a year ago or right before the NCAA tournament so I'm thinking you know February well this is February I'm thinking here in the next month or two they finally get whatever penalties are coming their way and then they can move forward. And then I think you can be uh, a lot more. uh, I think that will certainly open it up recruiting wise for Matt McMahon. Remember this guy's got an eight year contract. So that tells you that Scott Woodward and um, those involved uh, knew that the first couple of years were going to be tough. It was going to be, it was going to be a, Long process. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Jeff. Yeah. All right, let's switch over to the women while we have a few minutes here, bud. We'll wrap it up with that. Women get the job done. Only one of two undefeated teams in the country, the other one being South Carolina, the defending national champs. Tigers, Gamecocks, a week for OL. It'll be this coming Sunday. It'll be Super Bowl Sunday. Regular season championship is on the line. The one seed for the SEC tournament is on the line. You look at the two teams – LSU's had a great season. South Carolina has taken down the likes of Stanford, Maryland, UCLA, and UConn now in non-conference play. They have tested themselves over and over again. They're the defending champs. Do you give LSU a chance on Sunday in Columbia to pull out the win? 
Yeah, you give them a chance because LSU is very talented. But I do think South Carolina is the more battle-tested team. They're playing at home. And this is one of those games where they expect to win, right? I mean, the, the defending champs, um, they've won every single game. I mean, LSU is still a program that's trying to emerge uh, under Kim Mulkey and have uh, vaulted themselves up into national championship contenders. I really think, Raymond, this is going to be the first of three games played between these two teams this season. And I know LSU hasn't been uh, you know, mowing opponents down here lately. Uh, the last three games have certainly been close games, but which I think is good for this team. The more close games they can play, I think the better. But I, I think, you, obviously, LSU-South Carolina meets Super Bowl Sunday. They should meet in the SEC tournament. And I think they'll meet in the Final Four, whether that's a national semifinal or a championship game. I, I think that's a, a very strong possibility in my mind. So while LSU might not be able to get the, might not be able to get the job done this Sunday in Columbia, South Carolina, I think these two teams – uh, we'll, we'll face each other at least another time, and and I really think uh, Final Four somewhere they'll they'll meet. Uh, I I just think LSU's that good. I mean, nobody's been able to stop Angel Reese. You put Alexis Morris out there, and she's got uh, you know if you get 20 points from her like you did, you'd like to see her turnover number get cut down. She turned it over nine times yesterday. Um, Flaugé Johnson is I think one of the best freshmen in in the SEC. Uh, I think she kind of pulls back a little bit just because Reese and Morris do a lot of the scoring. But if they weren't on the team, I mean, she'd be averaging 15 points, um, you know, five five to eight rebounds a game and stuff like that. And then they got a, a lot of good ro- role players, uh, especially if Jasmine Carson and is shooting it well from the outside and Ladasia Williams is a is a good complement to Angel Reese. So they they got a lot working for them. Uh, it's just that South Carolina is in a spot where these are the games that the, they win. And um, maybe that changes as the season goes along. But I think LSU uh, could learn a lot from a loss, uh, especially against a really quality team like they're going to face against South Carolina. So I think it's going to be a great game. It's a nice appetizer to the uh, Super Bowl Sunday. A bunch of LSU fans are making the trip as well. So it should be a lot of fun, and it'll be good to see um, this, uh, I, what I think it could be a, a, a really good rivalry in the SEC. You got two coaches that are big time personalities and Don Staley and Kim Mulkey. So that, I think that adds to it as well. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your week and enjoy Tiger Ag Radio this week, my friend. All right, Raymond. Thanks a lot. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. When will the LSU men's basketball team snap its losing skid? 64% of you have come out strong to say they won't this week. Jeff Palermo actually agrees with you. 28% say on Wednesday against Mississippi State, uh, the Bulldogs are not very good, but they're better than the Tigers are. And 8% of you are optimistic that it's going to happen Saturday inside the PMAC versus Texas A&M. Woo! Ralph says, here's a novel idea. If you're not a good shooting team, maybe you shouldn't shoot so many threes. 
maybe Mulkey could be a guest coach for a game. Yeah, for a team that struggles to shoot the three-pointer, they sure do like shooting the three-pointer. B-Rad says, I don't know. Just know they will. What I do know is that the LSU women are 23-0 and and baseball season starts in 11 days. Got a Final Four National Championship contending women's basketball program. The football program's coming off a 10-win season in a SEC West title. And the baseball team is projected to go to Omaha for the College World Series. Everything's really good at LSU right now, except for the men's basketball team, which kind of allows Matt McMahon to kind of fly under the radar, right? Because everyone else is going to be distracted by all the greatness while he uh, is driving the struggle bus. Texan and Katie Anna says, didn't know the SEC played basketball. Oh, keep those comments coming. Keep those votes coming as well. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, man, Lance Moore, New Orleans Saints star wide receiver and Super Bowl champion will be joining us, but we'll kick it off with Louisiana Raging Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow. That's all coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Half an hour from right now, Lance Moore, former Saints star wide receiver (coughs) and Super Bowl champion, will be joining us to talk about his career and about his experience playing and winning a Super Bowl with the New Orleans Saints. That's coming up half an hour from right now. We are efforting Louisiana Raging Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow to join us once again. The Raging Cajun softball team opens up the season (coughs) this Friday at Lampson Park for their annual Louisiana Classics. So we'll talk to Coach about that as soon as we get him on the air. Poll question of the day. Oh, man. About the LSU men's basketball team. When will they snap their now 10-game losing skid? Hey, the Pelicans snapped their skid over the weekend. They lost 10 in a row. They won back-to-back games. Maybe that will serve as some inspiration, if you will. Maybe they'll be able to go out there and get the job done against Mississippi State. So there you go. That's our poll question of the day, though. What can they do? When will they snap their losing skid is our poll question of the day. Go vote on that. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout the remainder of today's show. Raging Cajun men's basketball team, Got a big win over the weekend as well. They beat Marshall. They beat Marshall on Saturday inside the Cajun Dome. They now are tied atop the Sunbelt Conference standings with Southern Miss. There's about a two-game cushion now in between UL and Southern Miss versus Marshall and everyone else. Thursday's game on the road in Hattiesburg will more than likely determine who wins the regular season championship. Now, 
There's still going to be some other games that could play a big factor in this. James Madison is going to be a game that's going to be crucial for the Cajuns. That's on the road as well with the additions of the teams to the Sun Belt. Yeah, they did get Marshall at home, but they had to force the Cajuns to go play at Old Dominion and at James Madison in the first year of everyone playing together. So there's still some games to kind of figure things out, right? That said, Thursday's game, because UL's already beat Southern Miss once, they beat Southern Miss twice, then they have the tiebreaker for head-to-head. So even if they stumble and they finish with the same conference record, they'll have one of the tiebreakers because they beat Southern Miss head-to-head twice. So huge game on Thursday, but it was a great game on Saturday for the Raging Cajuns. More than 15,000 folks were in attendance. It was the most people inside the Cajun Dome for a men's basketball game since 2018. That, of course, was the great team that won the regular season championship and played in the NIT. Jordan Brown went out there, had 17 and 14 in the first half, ended up with a 2020 game, only the sixth 2020 game in program history, and the first since Sean Long did it back in 2016. So they get the win. The Fabulous Cajun Chicken was in a, in the house, which was amazing. It was. It was really good. He put on a good show. D'Lo was there. He enjoyed it. So was Matt Miguez and Clint Domain and James Mesh, Hannah, yours truly. Foot was there as well. It was a great environment. It, it, and we've seen a nice crowd for Raging Cajuns men's basketball games here for a little while this season. You can tell. But the, cat, the, the the Cajun chicken went out there, dressed up as Elvis, did the Grim Reaper. They had a good time. They had a good time. Dawson was very happy with himself. He loved the Fabulous Cajun Chicken. He had never seen the Fabulous Cajun Chicken, had you? You're too young to remember the, the chicken. Had not seen him. Certainly had not, but enjoyed it. Boom. Chicken in the books now for you. I have figured, I've, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I've figured anything out. I've read through what the Sun Belt publishes as their tie-breaking procedures, but it's very unclear to me still. I, 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 <laughs> I, I read it too. It's, it's from 2014, first of all. I guess they haven't changed it since then, but like, okay, so this, the first one, okay, is obviously head-to-head, so we know that. If you all beat Southern Miss. Now, if they, if they lose, though, it's going to be confusing. If, if UL and Southern Miss finish the regular season tied, because the second tiebreaker is then each team's win-loss percentage versus the team occupying the highest position in the final regular season standings, and then continuing down through the standings until one team gains an advantage. But the highest team in the regular season standings will be UL and Southern Miss. So I guess you'd go down to number three, and they beat Marshall, so that's good. But I don't know. We'll see. It's confusing as all get out. Hey, sometimes they just make things way too confusing, right? There's all these elements. There's all these different things. It's just like, come on, man. Just make it simple. Just make it simple, please. That's all you got to do. Oh, man. But Cajuns get to 20 wins, and they have a huge game on Thursday at Southern Miss. But now let's head out to the hotline and welcome on the man in charge of another Louisiana Raging Cajuns program. Nationally ranked, always a perennial power. He's done a tremendous job in his years at the helm of the softball program. The Raging Cajuns kick off the season this Friday with the Louisiana Classics at Lampson Park. Jerry Glasgow is our guest now here on RP3 and Company. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Coach, good morning. How are you? 
Don't think Coach can hear me. We'll try to get Coach on the line. We'll keep efforting getting Coach Glasgow here on RP3 and company. Raging Cajun softball team will open up the season on Friday for the annual Louisiana Classics. Then they have that big tournament out in Florida that they're taking part in. So, look, expectations are always high, right? We've talked about this with Jay Walker. We've talked about this with Dan McDonald. We talked about it just ourselves that, look, there's a standard with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns softball program of always having excellence. And that's never going to change. There's people come out in a big way for the team. They always love cheering on that team. And the expectations are just not to win the Sunbelt Conference and the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, but to get to a regional, to win a regional, to get to a super regional, and to get to the Women's College World Series in Oklahoma City. That's what it's all about. Getting to that final destination and doing that. Unable to get Jerry Glasgow on. Hopefully we'll be able to do that for the next segment and see if we can be able to get him on the air and talk to him about the upcoming season. They're starting off the season this week with the Louisiana Classics. That'll be against Lafayette College at 4.30 on Friday. And then they'll take on Stephen F. Austin at 1 o'clock on Saturday and then 3.30 on Saturday. And then they'll take on Stephen F. Austin again on Sunday. So then they go to that Tax Axe Clearwater Invitational down in Florida where they're going to be taking on the likes of Indiana, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, UCLA, and Florida State. So that's the type of tournament that Jerry Glasgow has been wanting his team to be part of, get that great experience, and that will be a phenomenal time. Even Look, even if they lose those games, it's going to be better for them for RPI and all that other stuff, right? All the things that calculate if you can host a regional or not. Playing elite competition like that is going to be at another level. Right, Dawson? I mean, when we look at this team getting tested early on, the Louisiana Classics is great because it's at Lamson Park, right? You're the headliner. But taking part in a big, huge national tournament like this early in the season can only help Jerry Glasgow's team. Yeah, I mean, that, that tournament specifically, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a who's who, um, you know, of everyone essentially. You wouldn't be shocked if half the College World Series field at the, begin, at the end of the season, if you look back, and at least half of them played in this tournament. Because um, you have, I mean, numerous teams in the top ten. Florida State, I've gotten a firsthand look past couple of seasons. That softball program's incredible, and they're loaded once again. Um, it's it's going to be a big test, and that's what you know. We've kind of asked you all to do that over the past few seasons. They've been put in a position where they've won ridiculous numbers of games and still had to travel to Baton Rouge or travel to Oxford in regionals, and I think that's been unfair to them. But the COVID year really hurt them because yeah, it did. that COVID year they were a top five team, and they were going to host a regional for sure. Like there, there was no doubt, right? I mean, and then the year gets cut, taken away from them. And that's really kind of the lost season where you go, man, if they would have played, they would have had a great chance. They would have at least hosted a regional, and many of us thought they would probably got to Oklahoma City. They were that talented. They were that stacked. And then COVID happened and kind of just, you know, and they've been forced to have to go on the road, right? It'd be great if they could host a regional and get on to the Supers because that's the other big hurdle is 
for Coach Glasgow is to get past that, right? Get over the hump. They're getting to a regional every year. That's great. Get to a regional, get to a super, and then uh, get back to getting to Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series. So hopefully we'll be able to talk about that with Coach Glasgow coming up here on RP3 and company, having some uh, some phone issues. Going to try to get that cleared up with Coach to make sure to get him on the air so we can help preview the season, which once again begins on Friday with the Louisiana Classics there at Lampson Park. Well, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, hopefully, we'll have Coach Jerry Glasgow on UL Raging Cajuns softball coach right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Louisiana Raging Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow joins us now on RP3 and Company. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing good. Good morning. Well, all the off-season work, all that preparation, all that practice is now about to come to a head as you guys open up the season with the 37th annual Louisiana Classics. Friday's game against Lafayette College will be at 430 there at Lampson Park. Just how excited are you to see what your team can actually do on the field against competition, Coach? Oh, I'm pumped. I mean, that's the time of year when you're, as a softball coach or as a softball player, a diamond sports athlete, like this is the best week of the year right now. So you get out of bed early this morning. You know, I've been waking up since like 4 a.m. because just <laughs> you can't sleep. You just want to think about your sport and about softball and about all the different possibilities and figuring it all out and your last-minute preparations. And uh, it's exciting, and we're you know, really, really, really excited about the uh, talent that we've got on the field. But more than that, I feel like we're a – I just feel like we're a much tougher – our nucleus of, of starters will be a much tougher mentally uh, warrior-type mentality this year than we than we've had sometimes in the past, and so going to, going to a battle with a bunch of kids that are warriors and want to fight for their team that's exciting. Coach, you talk about you know being tested and being tough, and obviously after the Louisiana Classics, you guys are going to you know play some of the best competition in the country in that Tax Axe Clearwater Invitational. You're going to be playing Indiana, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, UCLA, and Florida State, brother. Uh, is definitely going to test your team, and that's going to be some great experience for your ball club. How excited are you guys about making that trip down to Florida? Oh, beyond pumped. Like, that's that's going to be a tough trip, but it's going to be a trip that makes you better and makes you tougher. Um, it's, going to make a, it's going to be a trip that's going to test your mettle. It's a trip that will reveal a lot of truths, some you want to find out about, and some you don't want to find out about. But you know, it's gonna it's gonna reveal a lot of things to our team and to our coaching staff that we need to see early and make corrections or know that we have it there. No, you know, there may be a player rise up, and you and you realize just how 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 much they can help you because of that warrior type attitude that you didn't, you know 
didn't see come into play in practice. Um, so it's things like that are what we're going to be looking for in Florida. And it's just not Florida. I mean, you really kind of did a masterful job with the non-conference schedule this year because not only do you have the the tax uh, the tax invitational, you're also going to be taking part in the LSU crossover again, where you're going to play LSU twice, and then you got Ole Miss to come to Lampson Park as well. They're one of the perennial teams as well. You know how important was it for you to make sure to schedule as many difficult, challenging opponents in non-conference play this season? Uh, as compared to, you know, maybe having some of those hurdles in years past? Well, we did a good job of getting a hard schedule and getting a really, really, really competitive schedule that the fans will enjoy. If we'd have done a masterful, if I'd have done a masterful job, I'd have at least half those games at home. <laughs> fair, fair. That's <laughs> fair, Coach. That's we're fair. going to everybody. And part of that was just, you know, Texas came to us last year, so we got to go there this year. Baylor didn't play us last year because of they had some things in their program that they didn't want. They wanted to take a year off, and I said that's fine. We'll just resume it in the next season. And you know, it's our turn to go there because they came to us in 2021, I guess. And then Texas A&M has not played us in years, and they've got a new coaching staff. So, you know, when you get an SEC opponent like A&M, you go there first, and they're, they're you know, the, the situation agreement was, I'm going to go there, they'll come to us in, in next year. And, of course, Texas came here last year for a doubleheader, so now we got to go over there this year. And and I, he'll, he'll try to come back to us. Florida, there's no contract, there's no written agreement, it's just a verbal agreement between Timmy and I, you know, you come to me, play in my tournament, and when I come to LSU, I'll give you a midweek game or a midweek doubleheader later on down the road. And so those are the kind of – but you've got to be willing. If you want to schedule top 20 teams and top 10 teams, you know, perennial, I guess I think Florida's won like half of the SEC championships over the last 15 years. If you want to play those guys, you have to accept some – you have to accept uh, – uh, operating position of less than 50-50 in negotiations. And I'm willing to do that because the most important thing is we get them on our schedule and that we play that type of schedule every year in order to get the recruits. If you don't play top 25 teams, you're not going to be able to get top 25 recruits. So I tried to make our schedule equal to an SEC schedule. And in turn, I think if you know kids, if kids know they're going to get that kind of competition, then you can recruit those same type athletes to come to your program. So that's the goal of the schedule. Next year, I believe it'll be a lot more balanced home and away, but without any doubt, it'll test our young kids, put them in a position to show if they are worthy of hosting a uh, regional or, or super regional. And if they're not worthy of hosting, it'll give them the experience to be able to, to go and compete and win that regional on the road that they need. So it's a win-win for us either way. And then down the road, this schedule here should lay the way down the road that we can really um, have even a better home schedule, which we had a good home we had a good home schedule last year. But I want to get it where it's consistently ideal. And next year we'll probably have to go back to Ole Miss for them. They were willing to come to us first, right? And that was that was uh, unusual to get that out of an SEC program, especially one that's been doing really well. 
Coach, let's talk a little bit about the makeup of the team. Uh, what are we looking like? Are you going to have any position battles still going on early in the season? Sometimes that's happened over the years with your, your, your ball club. Or is your starting lineup and your starters all set for the uh, opener this Friday? Uh, at this point, you know, I think our defense, uh, Coach Lacey and Coach Kevin, are pretty well unified on what they think is the starting player at each position. And, uh, you know, we're last-second changes due to, you know, injuries. Um, and then there's still a couple, uh, maybe three spots on the field that based on some things you might see this week in practice, they could go a different way, but it's pretty, at this point, it's pretty, it's became pretty obvious to me who my mentally toughest warriors are. And that's what I've been looking for. You know, I told them that the first thing I said, the first day of spring practice, I'm looking for warriors and, it's not necessarily if you can bat 230 and they bat 240 or you bat 340 and they bat 330. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for I'm looking for the ones that's going to band together and fight uh, and, and able to fight. So that's what I'm looking for. And, yeah, it's become really crystal clear almost in most positions. There are still, as always on any team, there's two or three spots that I couldn't tell you exactly. Well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time out. I know it's a busy week, brother. I know you're, you can't wait. You're nervous. You can't wait to have the season started. You wish it would be starting today, but we appreciate your time and best of luck um, starting off the season with a win on Friday, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Very few players ever make it to the National Football League. With the first pick. Even fewer make it to the league's grandest stage. The Cincinnati Bengals. They are going to the Super Bowl. This next guest is someone who accomplished both. Time for Super Bowl Spotlight here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. He was a record-setting and all-conference wide receiver return specialist at Toledo where he helped the Rockets win the 2004 MAC Championship. He would go undrafted but would soon find a home with the New Orleans Saints, where he played nine of his 11 NFL seasons, including helping them win a Super Bowl championship. His career, he would haul in 389 passes for more than 4,800 yards, scored 44 touchdowns. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and Company, the New Orleans Saints Hall of Famer, Lance Moore. Lance, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. Doing well, uh... Obviously, the, the season didn't go the way that we wanted it to, uh, but there's still some great football ahead of us to be fans and watch. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the playoffs and, and see which team will be crowned champion for the 2022 season. Does it seem that long ago when you went through this process and you guys were gearing up for the Super Bowl? Does it seem like it's been that long? Today it does. Um, you know, I mean, what has it been, 13? 13 years now um if you would have asked me that two or three years ago i would probably say man it's already been 10 years but but now looking back it's like man it's been quite some time um but with that being said i remember it as if it were yesterday um the the feeling of that season throughout that season going into the playoffs 
playing well in those playoff games at home, and then the kick, obviously, in the NFC Championship game to send us to the Super Bowl. I mean, all of these memories are so, so vivid for me. Um, and, you know, it's obviously, you know, the, the process of a team gearing up for the playoffs is one that's completely different than the process from the regular season, obviously, with what's, what's at stake. Um, and I know exactly what all of these players who are getting ready to lace up and strap up this weekend are going through. Um, the intensity ratchets up. Obviously, the, the significance of every single snap is higher in a game like the playoffs. Um, and it, to me, those games were more fun because of what was at stake every single snap of every single game. Is the biggest challenge the week of the Super Bowl just dealing with the nerves of being on that stage? You know what? I, I, honestly, I don't think so because once you get through all of the extra stuff, there's still a football game to be played. You know, like to, to me, the biggest challenge was all of the other stuff that went along with being in the Super Bowl. Obviously, you've got an, an extra week. You've got to worry about travel. You've got to worry about hotels. You've got to worry about people getting from place A to place B all throughout Super Bowl week. You've got to worry about different appearances. You've got to worry about a million different media availability sessions and interviews that you have to do that from people from all over the planet, really. I mean, there's, there's sports reporters from all over the place that come to the Super Bowl, and it is just a different type of responsibility outside of, the football game leading up to that week for, you know, it's just, it's just on another level of the things that you have to deal with that really don't have a ton to do with what's actually going to happen on Super Bowl Sunday. What was the craziest question you were asked during media day for Super Bowl week, or maybe the craziest question you saw asked to someone else? Uh, yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't really remember being asked too many crazy questions. Um, if, if you don't remember, I, I was hurt a lot of the 2009 season. I missed nine games. And so I wasn't one of the guys that, that had his own little booth there for the media to come up and ask you a bunch of questions. Um, so I don't remember specifically anything that was, that was too crazy or too out of line. Um, but, but I do remember just how intense and how, like, it was just so different obviously media day, which has now turned into a whole different thing. Um, but it, it, to me, was kind of more of a circus than actual interviews going on. There was just a whole lot more to, to see. And, I mean, even as somebody that was part of the Super Bowl, one of the Super Bowl teams, just watching all of the things that were going on around me during media day and then obviously through the rest of the week with the media availability, just how intense and how different it was it definitely gave me a little bit of a view of, of what, you know, the, the actual game would be like with, you know, just seeing how crazy it was for the media day. When you were there at Toledo and you're just balling out of control, winning conference championships, earning all conference honors, did you ever imagine or allow yourself to kind of imagine, hey, yeah, I'm a small school guy, but you know what? I got the skill set. I got the ability to make it to the next level and win a Super Bowl. Did you even allow yourself to think that way? Uh, I, I think early on I did not. Early on I was kind of focused on the process and what do I need to do to play. Then it was what do I need to do to become a starter. 
Um, but from there, once I became a starter, I was like, okay, not not only am I starting now, but I, I feel like I'm pretty good at this, and I, and I have a chance to be really, really good. Um, and it wasn't really even until my junior season that that I really took off at Toledo, and, and that was when I started to think, hey, maybe, maybe I can play in the NFL. When you go to college, especially being on scholarship, there's a dream, right? That okay, maybe someday I can play in the league, but but it didn't really become much of a, a real thought or, or even a reality to me until until my junior season, and then from there it was like, okay, I'm trying to get to the NFL. So every single one of these college football games becomes even more significant because I'm auditioning for all 32 teams every time I step foot on the field. So that was kind of when it became a little more of a reality. Um, and, you know, I, I actually had the decision. My, my junior season, I led the country in catches, um, and it was kind of like, okay, should I leave early? You know, there's an opportunity here. I've, I've done something that only one person in college football can do in a, in a given season, um, and I had a little bit of notoriety because I was first team all-conference, and, um, you know, people were talking about me, so there was a, a potential there for me to, to kind of make that jump early, but I decided to go back to school, and I just felt like I still needed to get a little bit stronger, and I, there was still more um, to my game that I that I wanted to be able to show. And um, you know, I went back and had a great experience, and thankfully, we won a MAC championship that year, so it was awesome. We're talking with record-setting Toledo wide receiver and a man who spent nine seasons in the NFL playing for the New Orleans Saints, helping them win a Super Bowl championship for the 2009 season. It's the Saints Hall of Famer Lance Moore joins us here on RP3 and Company. Lance, you go undrafted, you get signed as a practice squad guy, and then you have to go over to NFL Europe, and you take kind of the unconventional path to get to the NFL as a starting wide receiver. What helped you go through that? What helped you be able to realize your dream and fight through maybe those tough times where you're on the very bottom and you had to work your way up? Yeah, well, look, I'm, I, nothing has ever been given to me in my life, and I didn't expect it to be any different once I was on my way to the NFL. Um, I was what some would call a late bloomer in high school. I was recruited, but I was not given very many scholarship offers. In fact, I only got three scholarship offers, and those three offers came basically two weeks before I graduated from high school. So I was on my way to be a walk-on at Ohio State when I finally got a scholarship offer. So. Um, that wasn't an easy process, um, and but I feel like it kind of almost prepared me for the, the possible situation of not being drafted into the NFL. And I truly, truly believe that I didn't get drafted because I was hurt. Um, I got hurt in the bowl game, the Motor City Bowl, um, you know, 2004, obviously, where I was right before I was getting ready to come out to go to the NFL. Uh, had surgery on my shoulder, wasn't able to compete at the combine, and I think that really, really, really hurt me as far as being able to get in front of the scouts and them to see me compared to the competition of the guys from the bigger schools. And I just wasn't able to have that opportunity, but I've always, always been very, very strong mentally. Um, And if things weren't going to happen the way that maybe I wanted them to, or, or maybe I planned them to in my head, that's okay. Um, I was going to do everything that I could, to make sure that I was ready if and when that opportunity came. Um, you know, speaking with my agent throughout the process, he was like, there's going to be an opportunity. We just don't know where and we don't know when. Um, and so once 
the draft happened and I wasn't drafted, I was disappointed, but it was like, okay, let's get on the phone and let's figure out where we're going to go. Um, and from there, to me, it was just, let's get back to work. Um, I've always been a guy that, that kind of puts his hard hat on every single day and worry about the things that I can control as much as possible and as, as little worrying about the things that I cannot control. I couldn't control whether I was drafted or not, um, but I could control being prepared when that opportunity would present itself to me to sign with the team, whether it be active roster, practice squad, or anything else. So um, just, you know, continuing to work, staying mentally and physically prepared and, and making sure that when that phone call came that I handled my business when it was time to step on the field. You work your way up. You develop a good rapport with Drew Brees, and then you have the breakout season in 2008. Colston gets banged up, and you just kind of step into that number two role for the team. You have a great breakout season. What was that like to, after a few years in the league, to finally show everyone that you were a legitimate wide receiver in the National Football League? Well, it felt great. Um, you know, being a guy that played as much ball as I did in college and caught as many balls, you know, in the, in the 2003 and 2004 seasons, I almost caught 200 balls in two seasons. So to go from that to not playing in any regular season games in 2005 and then only playing in a handful in 2006. So basically my first two years of my career, I had one catch for 10 yards. So it's really, really humbling. Um, and, and But, you know, still made me even more hungry. Like I just was like, man, I got to get to it. I got to get to it. 2007, we start out 0-4, and the coaches are looking to kind of make some changes, and I ended up starting a couple of games and caught some balls, but still wasn't what I was accustomed to and really wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to be one of the, you know, premier guys. I wanted to be a guy that was out there not just starting but, but contributing in, in a major way. And so, unfortunately for, for our team and for himself, Marcus Colson goes down in 2008, and uh, I was the guy that kind of got the call. And, and – for me, it was like, well, I've prepared for this. I'm ready to go. Now it's a matter of just going and, and making sure that it happens every single Sunday in the game. And um, like you said, I, I developed a great rapport with Drew, and, and he trusted me. And, and the more reps that we got together in practice and in the games, the better we got throughout that season. And, yeah, I would, I would definitely say that's, that's the season that really kind of springboarded my career forward and um, – yeah, I mean, it was it was an awesome year. I mean, the score, I think I scored 10 touchdowns that year and, and you know, just under 1,000 yards in the season. It was it was completely awesome. And, and at that point, it was like, okay, I've finally gotten this opportunity, but now what am I going to do from here? And, and that, that was kind of the mentality that I embodied for the rest of my career, not not one of that I've made it, but one that I've, I'm here, but I still have not made it. So that allowed me to get back to work and continue to try to improve myself each and every day. The following season, you were hampered by injuries. You were limited during that year, yet you got healthy enough for the postseason. You came up big in multiple games during that postseason run. You had a couple of catches in the Super Bowl, but I want to talk about the one that I thought was maybe your best catch all year, and that was the two-point conversion. You guys go down. Drew throws that two-yard pass to Jeremy Shockey, and for the first time in the game, you guys decide to go for two, and the play gets dialed up, and it comes to you, and you make a great catch there in the end zone for the conversion. Walk us through that play. Yeah, well, so that I mean that that was a play that we've run 
basically since Sean Payton got to New Orleans. Um, it's kind of one of his mainstays, a short yardage and or kind of goal, goal line, um, goal to go situational play. Um, but it was kind of always my play. So I wasn't any stranger to, to running that route or catching that ball. Um, but the funny part about that situation was as soon as we scored the touchdown, obviously you do the math, we're up by five. It'd probably be better for us to be up by a full touchdown, especially with Peyton Manning on the other side. Um, and so as soon as Sean Payton says, give me Lance Moore, I can hear him. I'm right there on the sideline. I know what the play call is. I don't, I don't need to get to the huddle and worry about, okay, which one of the plays is he going to call? I knew exactly what the play call was going to be. Um, and the only reason that that catch became a circus catch was because I aligned a little bit too deep in the backfield. Um, had I aligned a little more forward where I was supposed to, um, that catch is not nearly as difficult, and it doesn't become, I don't think, the play that I am almost synonymous with in Saints history or even my career. Um, so thankfully I did that, and I had to make it look a little little more difficult than it should have been. Um, but I, I, I knew that Drew was going to be able to throw the ball in a, in a good place. For me, it was just a matter of getting to the ball and, and, and making the catch. And once it happened, in my head, I knew that I caught the ball. But then I, I was confused about how the ball came out because I, I knew once I hit the ground, the ball was still in my hands. I actually was positioning the ball better into my hands to make sure that I had it across the, the end line. Um, so I knew it wasn't a, a situation where I hit the ground and the ball was coming free. Um, so by the time I got to the sideline, somebody, and I don't remember specifically who it was, but they said, hey, that corner kicked the ball out of your hand. I said, huh? And they said, hey, he kicked it out. And so around this same time, Coach Payton is coming over with his scout. He's like, did you catch it? And I'm like, uh, yeah, which I'm, I'm hopeful, right? But I don't really know what would result what the results would be if, if we challenged that play I'm, I'm like yeah I caught it because in my mind I caught it but I really truly did not know and that was right around the time they throwing in the challenge flag and obviously we know what happens from there but as soon as they said that it was a successful catch and the two-point conversion was good I, I just kind of breathed a major sigh of relief because I was like okay great like now we're up a touchdown because Peyton's not mad at me so if, you know I need to go in the game again he's not going to be pissed <laughs> off you know so it was like it was, a, it was a great kind of uh, a lot of things going on in that short span of time, um, you know, going on in my head and going on around me um, and, and things that, you know, people don't ever get a glimpse at. But it's awesome to be able to look back now and kind of tell the stories about those, those situations and how they unfolded. We'll wrap it up with this, Lance. The game is over. You guys are champions. Confetti comes down. T-shirts are handed out. Hats are handed out. But I want to ask you this. What was it like when you finally got your hands on that Lombardi trophy? Oh, man. Like, honestly, it was a, a dream come true. You know, it's, it's you grow up playing sports as a little kid, um, and you figure out what, you know, kind of you're passionate about, what you're really good at. Um, you know, obviously football became the sport that I was the best at and, and you know, would, would offer me amazing opportunities opportunity to have a scholarship, opportunity to make money and take care of my family. But those aren't really things that you think about when you're a little kid, right? When you're a little kid, you dream about playing in a Super Bowl. 
you dream about winning a Super Bowl and what that Lombardi trophy feels like, what wearing a Super Bowl ring feels like. So to say that it was a dream come true, I, I would say is kind of an understatement because of the significance of what it means or what it's meant to me since I was a little kid. Um, but it's, it's really, really awesome to have that and to be able to, at some point, when my kids are a little bit older, show them the game, um, show them my little replica Super Bowl trophy that I have in my office and, and talk about, you know, what that meant to me and what it means to me and, um, you know, explain to them that not very many people in the entire world get a chance to do that. So um, it, it, it had great significance then, but I would say it has even greater significance now as a, as a dad to young kids. Lance? This has been tremendous. Thank you so much for being gracious with your time. I know the requests are plentiful <laughs> this time of the year, but thank you so much for uh, taking us down memory lane with you and your journey to the NFL and winning a Super Bowl, brother. Thank you so much. Great stuff. Thank you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, Looks like the New Orleans Saints have got their guy to be their new defensive coordinator. This broke earlier this morning. Uh, The Saints are expected to name Joe Woods their defensive coordinator per sources. He was the Cleveland Browns defensive coordinator from 2020 to 2022. He reunites with Dennis Allen from their days with the Oakland Raiders. So that could be good. That could be bad. That could be Paul Ball. Poll question of the day. When will the LSU men's basketball team snap they're losing skid. It's up to 10 now. When can they snap it? Mississippi State is not a great team, but they're better than LSU. That's who they play on Wednesday at Starkville. Saturday at home against AM, or they won't this week at all. 64% of you say they won't win this week. They will not snap the skid. 26% of you say they'll do it on Wednesday, and only 10% of you say on Saturday. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who comment, including Mr. Green, who just simply said this week, question mark, and shared a gift from Futurama. I'm here for that all day long. Woo, good show. Good show. Good way to start off the week. Thanks to Jeff Palermo from the Louisiana Radio Network and Tiger Rag Radio. Thanks to Jerry Glasgow, Louisiana Raging Cajun softball coach. And thanks to former St. Star wide receiver and Super Bowl champion Lance Moore for helping us kick off Super Bowl week. That's going to do it for today. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9. We'll try to be better. We'll try to be more entertaining. We'll try to be more educational. That'll give you plenty of time out there to make sure to get your dictionaries out with you on your commute to work to understand what D'Lo says. Man's bringing two degrees to the table. For the producer, Dawson Iserlo, I'm Raymond Parcher III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.